Father, thank You that we can come to You in this house of prayer and that we can call out to You and we can ask for things like more of the precious gift of Your Holy Spirit in our lives. Lord, we look forward to seeing how You answer that prayer. We look forward to how You speak to us this morning through the power of Your Word. Open our ears, we pray. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. He was only in his lower 30s, a young man, I'd like to think, and he had an entire mule train that he was taking with him. Now, he was going to see something that few people had ever been able to see before. He was headed to something that you might take for granted today, but something that back then was very difficult to access, that few people had ever seen. He was in central California. He was in the Sierra Nevada mountains, and he was on a mission to photograph Yosemite National Park. Except for this time, it wasn't a national park. He was headed into Yosemite Valley, this famed valley that had been found not too long before. The year was 1861. And as he was going, he had a ton worth of equipment. I should say not worth, but in weight of equipment. Literally, over a ton worth of equipment loaded on his mules. Because back then, you didn't just simply pull out your cell phone and take a picture of Half Dome and take a picture of El Capitan. But instead, in order to take these pictures, he had these, this huge camera and he had these big glass plates and he had to have a, actually in a wagon a, a dark room and he had to have all these chemicals with him that he had to, to take on this journey to go and to be able to take these pictures. So imagine what it was like to those in the world who had never gotten to see Yosemite before when those first pictures began to come out of Yosemite Valley. I'll put a couple of those pictures up there. As these pictures came, you imagine people had never seen this before. They had seen a few sketches of what Yosemite Valley might have looked like, but they hadn't got to see it with their own eyes. But now they saw this in miniature pattern of Yosemite Valley, this picture of Yosemite Valley. The first one you saw there was Half Dome. Here you see another one of Yosemite Valley. That's along the Merced River. So Watkins, as his name was, he took these pictures, he developed them right there in the valley and began to take them out to share with the world a treasure that many in the world had never seen. It reminds me a little bit of a story that took place some 4,000 years before that. Go with me to the Bible in Exodus chapter 25. Exodus chapter 25 is just a few chapters after the Israelites have been led out of the land of Egypt. They've been slaves in the land of Egypt. They, all that they had known most of their lives was how to make bricks for some pharaoh who was building monuments for his glory. They had known how to form these bricks and that's what they had known from the day of their birth was slavery. But God had come in a miraculous way and had delivered them out of Egypt and had brought them into the wilderness to Mount Sinai. So in Mount Sinai, one day, God shows up with power on Mount Sinai and it's described in chapter 24 and the nobles go up on the mountain. The elders of Israel go up on the mountain. But look at chapter 24 and verse 15. Then Moses went up into the mountain, and a cloud covered the mountain. 
Just imagine this mountain, it's covered with a cloud. Verse 16, now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. The sight of the glory of the Lord. Imagine this. This is what the Israelites are seeing as they look up to this mountain. The sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud and went up into the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Imagine this scene. If you're one of the Israelites, you're there in the encampment, you look up at this mountain, and there's just this roaring fire with all the glory of God there on that mountain. The cloud is there. The fire is like a consuming fire. And you watch as your leader walks up into the mountain and disappears. What took place on that mountain? Verse 1 of chapter 25 continues. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they bring me an offering. Now remember, these are slaves who have just come out of Egypt. And listen to what God is asking them to do. Of all the priorities, of all the things that are probably on their mind, that's on the mind of Moses at this point in time, about survival, about how they're going to possibly be able to defeat the Canaanites when they go into the land of Canaan, all of the things about how they are, are going to travel with their families, how they're going to provide for their families. They're thinking about all these things. What kind of message does God give to Moses when he comes up on the mountain? This is what he says to him. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they bring me an offering. From everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. And this is the offering which you shall take from them. That being the slaves who were there in the wilderness, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen, and goat's hair, ram skins dyed red, badger skins and acacia wood, oil for the light, and spices for the anointing oil, and for the sweet incense, onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. Think about this. They're slaves in the wilderness. And here God is asking for them to do this amazing offering, to bring this amazing offering of gold and silver, of the, all these fine stones and fine cloth, all of these beautiful things. Where are they going to get these things from? How is this even possible? Why does God expect so much from them? Don't they need to be focused on simply surviving? Isn't this a little bit above and beyond what they could do? But look at why God is doing this, verse 8. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Verse 9 continues, According to all that I show you, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so shall you make it. Notice the word here, pattern. In Hebrew, it's a very specific term used to describe what Moses saw there on the mountain. Moses sees something very clearly that is a, a heavenly vision of, of what heaven is like. He sees this pattern, and then over the next few chapters, if you read through it, there's detail after detail about how Moses is to build this sanctuary, exactly how many loopholes there are to be in the curtains. 
Exactly what's to be embroidered on the curtains. Exactly what the walls are to be like. I mean, words can't describe the glory of what this sanctuary would have been like. If you look over in chapter uh, 25, it's over in my page at least, to verse 31, look at what the lampstand was like. Just, Just one of the things that was there in the tabernacle. You shall also make a lampstand of pure gold. The whole lampstand was made of gold. The lampstand shall be of hammered work. Its shaft, its branches, its bowls, its ornamental knobs and flowers shall be of one piece. I'm just curious. How many of you have ever worked with gold before to make anything out of gold? We've got one. Ron's done that before. Not very many of you have ever worked with gold to make, make something out of gold. I was pretty impressed when one of you I saw had taken a silver dollar and had made it actually into a wedding band. I thought that was pretty amazing. But to work with metal takes fine skill, doesn't it? Was it easy to work, work with gold? Not, not so much, right? So here it's made of pure gold. It has ornamental knobs, flowers, Six branches shall come out of its side, three branches of the lampstand out of one side, and three branches of the lampstand on the other. It goes on to say it has bowls and flowers. It has all of these intricacies. It has these, this oil. And you go on down it in verse 38, and its wick trimmers and their trays shall be of pure gold. It shall be made of a talent of pure gold with all these utensils. And see to it, that you make them according to the pattern which was shown you in the mountain. Make sure that you do this exactly like I'm showing you right now, Moses. Make sure that every single detail is just like this picture that I'm presenting to you right now. Why is God doing this? Why is God having Moses see this vision? It goes on chapter after chapter. He, he details what the high priest is to wear in this beautiful ephod with all of these amazing gems in it. The robe that was just beautiful that the, the, the high priest would wear. If you look at the, the walls of the, the, the tabernacle were actually gold-plated walls. Can you imagine the glory and the beauty of that tabernacle? If you were to walk inside of it, you have this lampstand with the seven-branched candlestick all shining there and the, the gold is reflecting it But not only that, you had the Ark of the Covenant. This beautiful, ornate, gold box with a law of God in it that has these angels over it, these cherubim there. And there in the most holy place was what made it so glorious of anything was the very presence of God, the Shekinah glory. Imagine the glory, the splendor of that sanctuary. If you were there in that sanctuary, imagine how it would surpass anything that we have ever seen on this planet. The beauty is beyond description. Why does God want this group of slaves who have a lot of things that they need to be thinking about, a lot of priorities, a lot of things that they need to get done, why have them build this ornate and beautiful sanctuary? Why go to all that expense? Why all of that labor? Couldn't they put their work into something better than that? You know, if you add up how much the precious metals are worth, it's something like between 37 and $50 million worth of gold, silver, and bronze. 
This is the offering that God is asking of from his people, from these slaves from Egypt. And this wasn't a huge structure. It was about 50 feet long. It wasn't an enormous structure, but all of this gold was just lavished into this small portion of one building in the center of the camp of Israel. Can you imagine what's going through Moses' mind as he's there on the mountain and he's listening to God? God is telling him that you need to have the Israelites bring you this offering. And, and then you need to build this and you need to make sure that it's modeled exactly after the pattern. Can you imagine the, the thoughts of this challenge and how it would impact Moses? I like the way it's described in the book Councils to Teachers. It describes what may have been going through Moses' mind. Page 59, it says, The Lord gave an important lesson to His people. In all ages, when to Moses on the mount, He gave instruction regarding the building of the tabernacle. In that work, He required perfection in every detail. Moses was proficient in all the learning of the Egyptians. He'd been trained to be a pharaoh. He knew how to do a lot of things. He had a knowledge of God. And God's purposes had been revealed to him in visions. He'd seen this beautiful picture of heaven, but he did not know how to engrave and embroider. Israel had been held in their, all their days in the bondage of Egypt. They knew how to make bricks, but they did not understand how to work in gold or silver. They knew how to make pyramids. They knew how to, how to build these edifices for the Pharaoh. But, but this thing that God was calling them to was a stretch. It was beyond anything that they knew how to do, any experience that they'd ever had. How were they to accomplish this mission? Who was sufficient for these things? These were the questions that troubled the mind of Moses. As for 40 days and 40 nights, he's there in the mountain. He's considering these things. He's thinking about these things. How am I possibly going to build this beautiful structure? And what was the purpose of that? Why did God want him to design this sanctuary? It was this picture of what the plan of salvation entails, right? It was a picture of the love of God lavishly displayed right there in the midst of Israel. They couldn't fall short in how they presented this. They had to go all out in building the sanctuary because Jesus had gone all out. The Father had given everything in giving His Son. Romans 5, verse 8, it tells us that the love of God is displayed that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. The sanctuary there in the midst of Israel displayed radically the love of God because when you committed a sin, they had seen God in His glory and they'd seen the Ten Commandments and they knew that there was a penalty for breaking that law. That it was separation from God which would result in death. They knew that there was a problem. And so when they sinned, they would go to the sanctuary and there, what was the first thing that they would see in the sanctuary? They'd see the altar. They would see that God had made provision for that sin. That, that Jesus had already died for their sins. He hadn't already died it this time, but it was the promise of that. It was the expectation, the realization of the beautiful love of God. The God who loved them more than His own existence. Who was willing to lay down His own life 
so that they could have life. That's what God wanted to have displayed right there in the midst of the camp. So as Carlton Watkins took these pictures, he began to distribute them, and one person who got a hold of these pictures of Yosemite Valley was a senator from California. He took these pictures of Yosemite Valley and began to show people, look at how beautiful this part of California is. We've got to make sure that this is preserved. Because at that time, if you came out west, if you staked out your territory, that was your territory. But he said, no, we've got to preserve this. There's got to be something special about this. This wasn't something that had ever been done before. But he began to say, we've got to preserve Yosemite Valley as a treasure for our nation. And so he went to Congress. And at this time, Congress had a lot of things to be worrying about besides the granite rocks out in the Sierras. This was the time of the Civil War. 1864, it was three years after he'd taken these pictures, and you remember the battles that were going on between the, the, the Confederates and between the Union soldiers, what was happening in the Civil War. Abraham Lincoln was in the midst of all of this when one day, we believe it was this senator, historians believe it was this senator, walked in with these pictures. And he shows Abraham Lincoln these pictures of this beautiful place that was unlike anything Abraham Lincoln had seen before. It was a, something that he could barely wrap his mind around, but as he saw these pictures, it was, it was better than just the sketches that he'd seen before. Now he could really see the beauty of the place for what it was. And as he looked at those pictures... To believe that that was the motivation. He had only had about 30 pictures that Watkins had brought back. But that, those pictures of Half Dome and those things that, that are so familiar to us today, that led Abraham Lincoln to sign the grant that preserved Yosemite, which eventually was later signed into being a national park. The first of its kind in the United States of America. They said, we've got to preserve this beauty. It's so wonderful. We need to make sure that generation to generation will be able to experience this. God is up to something here in Exodus. As He wants to reveal His beauty, He wants to reveal His glory in a way that they could hopefully comprehend. He asked them to go and to build a structure worth 40 to 60 million dollars how could they possibly do this Moses is troubled by the thought but somehow he has to display and share the beauty of this plan of salvation to these people he's been told to make it exactly as the pattern so how will he do it thankfully God doesn't leave him hanging thankfully when God calls you to something he always qualifies you for it look at Exodus chapter 31. God is still speaking to Moses. He's gone through talking about the altar of incense, the daily offerings, the bronze laver, the holy anointing oil. I mean, Moses had to follow a specific recipe in order to have this perfume that was for the altar of incense that couldn't be used anywhere else. It was the place that was only to smell like the sanctuary. All of these things Moses didn't know how to do. But verse 1 says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel the son of Uri, the son of Hur, 
of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship to design artistic works, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting jewels for setting, in carving wood, and to work in all manner of workmanship. Isn't that amazing? Here's a man named Bezalel, who was a slave, who was a a brick maker. Somebody that maybe knew how to make pyramids, but had never worked with gold before. But here God is saying, I'm going to fill him with the Holy Spirit. He's, the, the third person of the Godhead is going to come into him and that will equip him to be able to build this beautiful structure. To form those cherubim out of solid gold. To be able to form this lampstand. All of this beauty that is to represent who Jesus is. That is to represent what Jesus means to us. I'm going to fill him with the Holy Spirit so that he can do this. And it's pretty fascinating. If you read in the Old Testament and you look for God pouring out his Holy Spirit, there's one time before this where Joseph is said by, I believe it's Pharaoh, who looks at Joseph and he says, can we find anybody else like this in whom is the Spirit of God? That's the only other time that it talks about the Spirit filling somebody. But here it's explicit. God is saying, I am going to fill Bezalel with the Holy Spirit. To do what? To hammer and to chisel, to carve, to mold. It's not so he could go preach, but it was so that he could build a structure that revealed the love of God like Israel had never seen before. But it wasn't just for Israel. It was so that all the nations around them could see the beauty of God. You see, it was designed in a very similar way to other sanctuaries that were in the ancient Near East. They understood this, but most of those other religions, they involved idols that required that you sacrifice your own children to them. Rather than a God who comes and sacrifices Himself to save you because He loves you. They were Gross counterfeits of the plan of salvation. And so God is wanting to extravagantly display His love like nobody had ever seen before. And so He anoints and fills Bezalel with the Holy Spirit. But what's the problem still? Even if you have somebody that knows how to work with gold and silver, if I were to invite them over to my house and say, well, this is great, would you build me some beautiful gold jewelry or something like that, it wouldn't help because I have no gold in my house that I know of. (laughs) There's no gold there. There's no silver there. There's no opportunity for him to be able to do that. No matter how much I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, I don't have that for that person to work with. So here they are in the wilderness. How in the world are they going to be able to build this magnificent structure, God had already provided. God had already made the way. And I just want to make an application before we look at how He made that way. Because in Ephesians chapter 10, it says that you are His workmanship. You are designed by God. You are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God has prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. 
God wants to display His beauty, His glory in your life, and He's already designed the path. He's already opened up the door. This church, God has planned for us to reveal His glory, His love, in ways that people will recognize. And He's already provided the way for that. We may not see it now. It may feel like an obstacle that's too big. God, do you really want us to go towards that when we just have the basics to take care of? Do you really have that big of a vision for us? But look here and see what God does. God had already done it for them when He brought them out of Egypt. Probably the reason that Pharaoh's army chased after them was because they had lavishly given all of their jewelry, all of their fine cloth, so many things to the Israelites when they were leaving. They said, just take it and go. Take all of it with you. We don't want you here anymore. And Pharaoh had chased after them and drowned in the Red Sea. But if you look at what takes place in chapter 36 and verse 2, Moses has introduced Bezalel and said, he's the one to design the sanctuary. And not only that, but God has also gifted a holy ab to help him out along with other gifted artisans. And it's fascinating because if you look down when Solomon goes to build his temple, he actually looks for one of the descendants of Aholiab and calls him to come and to help to build the temple. Apparently, these men were gifted in a way to just do something so practical that they were artisans of world renown that Solomon had to go up to Tyre and to bring one down in order to build the temple. So here in chapter 36 and verse 2, Then Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every gifted artisan in whose heart the Lord had put wisdom and everyone whose heart was stirred to come and do the work. And they received from Moses all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of making the sanctuary. You see back in chapter 35, Moses had specifically said to them, Whoever's heart stirs him, let him bring an offering. Whoever the Spirit of God motivates and inspires and compels them. He didn't tell them, each of you need to bring this many shekels to the temple. Each of you need to bring this exact cloth. Those of you with, that were born on this date need to bring... He didn't organize it like that, but he said, as the Spirit of God lays it on your heart, would you come and give? Because... God wants to live right in the middle of us. And He has this beautiful plan of salvation that He wants to demonstrate lavishly for us. He wants to show us that while we're still sinners, He plans to come and die for us. We need to display this to the world. Would you come and be a part of this vision? And they received from Moses all the offerings which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of making the sanctuary. So they continued bringing to Him free will offerings every morning. Then all the craftsmen who were doing all the work of the sanctuary came, each from his work he was doing. And they spoke to Moses saying, the people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded us to do. So Moses gave a commandment and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp saying, let neither man nor woman do any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. And the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient for all the work to be done. Indeed, too much. You see how God had provided for them. He'd had the Egyptians give them 
all that they needed to be able to bring there. And in the middle of the wilderness, in a place where they didn't know where their next meal was coming from, when they needed to be focused on how to survive, God has them step out in faith and build this lavish, beautiful picture of His love for them right there in the middle of the wilderness. And He provides all of the gold, all of the fine cloth. He provides those porpoise skins that that had to be brought from the sea. He provides all of these things that, that would have been so difficult for them to find. And God brings it to them and provides step by step for the calling that He has laid upon them. God always qualifies you for what He calls you to. But here's the thing. We have to know for certain that we're doing what He called us to, right? Because we see a problem here. When Moses goes up into the mount, how long was he there in the mountain? 40 days and 40 nights. He goes up into the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. While he's up there, they see this consuming fire and they say, well, surely... He has been consumed by this fire. We don't know what's happened to him. This is too long. But we need a picture of God in the middle of us, right? We need to reveal God in the middle of us. So let's go ahead and bring an offering and let's build something that we can worship. And so Aaron has them bring their gold earrings, has them bring their jewelry. They come and they put it in the fire and Aaron inscribes this golden calf that they begin to dance around and to worship. Totally giving over that beautiful glory of who God is to make Him like an animal. To make Him like a being that that is totally unworthy of worship. They exchange, the psalmist says, the glory of their Creator for an ox. Why? Why did they get it so wrong? I believe it was because they didn't go in the mount. They didn't take time to see what God's vision was for them. Before we even talk about using our gifts for God, we first have to know what would God have us do for His glory. It doesn't matter if we're gifted if we're doing the wrong thing. Does that make sense? If we're building a golden calf, it may be beautiful, If we're here and we say, on this hill up here, we need to build an amusement park because all of Templeton and Atascadero, they would come to the amusement park and they would ride roller coasters up here. But if that's not God's vision, it's not going to help us. It won't reveal God's love to our community if it's not what God is calling us to. I love how it describes what Moses experienced in Messages to Young People, page 249. It says, It was in the mount with God that Moses beheld the pattern of that wonderful building which was to be the abiding place of His glory. And it is in the mount with God that we are to contemplate His glorious ideal for humanity. It's as we take time with God, as we are there with Him, and it might take a long time, 40 days and 40 nights, there in the presence of God, listening as God revealed detail after detail, but it was all for the purpose of uplifting Jesus, so that people could see the beauty and the love of Jesus in that same temple, that that sanctuary that then became the temple was the one that David said, oh, I just, if I could just live there just to behold the beauty of the Lord. 
I just want to see him in all of his glory, all of his beauty, his selfless love that is unlike anything else, that, that sacrifice that represents that he laid down his life for me. He loves me that much. If I could just behold that beauty, it would be enough. That's all I need. That temple that for years afterwards was gone to by the, the, the Israelites and then that finally Jesus came to. And with tears in His voice, He had to say that it was forsaken by God because they had turned away from the purpose of the temple and that was to uplift Jesus, to reveal His beauty, to reveal His glory. But Jesus, thankfully, goes on to say in John chapter 2, He says, but if, if you destroy this temple within three days, I'll rebuild it. And John describes it and he says he wasn't just talking about the temple, but he was talking about his body. He was talking about himself because all of this points forward to who Jesus is. He is our Savior. He is all that we need for salvation. This was the picture that God wanted to radically display for them. And this is the picture that the world needs radically displayed today. God has a vision for you and I. If you look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul is talking and he uses this exact symbolism talking about the sanctuary in 1 Corinthians and he's describing what God wants to do through his church today. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19 and 20. Sorry, 2 Corinthians, no, 1 Corinthians. Yeah, well, I think we're in 1 Corinthians. When you're there, you tell me if we're in the right place or not. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19, it says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, who you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God. God says, I have a vision for these last days. And that is for you to become that lavish display of my glory, my beauty, of what the plan of salvation can do. I want for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit and I want for you to display my love to this world. Isn't it beautiful what God wants for you and I to experience? But the thing is, if we don't take the time in the mount, if we don't take the time alone with God, we won't know how to be gifted and what we need to be gifted for. I remember the story of when my mom and dad first started having conversations. They, they had a phone conversation and eventually my dad said, well, let's exchange pictures. You know, it was back in the day when you mailed a picture to each other. And so the story goes that my dad gets that envelope in the mail and he's finally going to get to learn what Janet looks like. And as he, he pulls that letter out, he opens it up, he pulls out a picture, and he gasps in horror. Because there was this picture of a figure that had the mask of an old man on its head with a, a, a scarf wrapped around it. He said it looked like a witch. He was scared to death by the image that he saw. It's important that we know what image we're building of God. That we're going back to the pattern. We're going to Scripture. We're going to Jesus and we're asking Him 
to create in us a clean heart like Jesus' heart. We're asking Jesus to live out His life within us. We're asking that our church would come to represent all the glorious love of Jesus to this community. And no matter how big that vision is, for me individually and for us as a church, God will gift us to accomplish it. God will enable you to do what He calls you to do. And it may not seem like anything grand and glorious when you go into it at first. It may be as simple as building a pathway and neighbors noticing that a church cares. It might be that you spend nights here working on a Sabbath school classroom in the end of the building, like I've seen Tammy Smith do as she's changed her theme to the fall theme. Those of you with little toddlers, you know what it's like. I see Elias back there. Elias has been in there enjoying that theme. It might be as simple as decorating your Sabbath school classroom. It might be those who right now are in the kitchen preparing an amazing fellowship meal for us. Gladys, who devotes so much of her time and money to, that's her ministry. That's what she feels called to do, but she does it with all of her heart. I don't know what God's calling you to do, but I know this. If you spend time in the mount, God's going to give you a vision for your life and for this church that's going to stretch you. You know it's not from God if you could accomplish it. God didn't give Moses a vision that was simple, that was easy for them to accomplish. He gave them something big and grand and glorious because that's who Jesus is. And he wanted them to see and to display the love of Jesus to this world. And God wants to do the same thing through you. So my question is, will we take time in the mount? Last week, we saw through our study during the week, I hope that you were a part of a life group or that last week we talked some on Sabbath about how God wants to gift all of us. The promises to everyone that He gives the gifts like 1 Corinthians 12, 17, 7 says, to all of us for the manifestation of the Spirit for the profit of all. But it's not just for all of us, but it's for a specific purpose. It's to glorify God. To reveal His beauty to this world. The world needs to see a beautiful picture of God. The series uh, Pale Horse Rides for Three Nights is going to be looking at how Christianity is dying today. Christianity is dying today because I believe in many ways we have lost the vision of the righteousness of Christ, the beauty of Jesus and all that He is to us. But when we recapture that and we share it, when it's like, I remember... I went to one group this week. I went to Stan and Joy Mulder's group and to hear her praying about how to reach one specific neighbor and just thanking God for the opportunity for conversation, but just saying, how could I possibly display your love in a greater way to that neighbor? God's going to do it in your life for your friends and your family. He wants to radically display His glory. The home missionary November 1, 1893 says this, The Holy Spirit glorifies God by so revealing His character to His people that He becomes the supreme, the object of their supreme affections and by making manifest His character in them. The Holy Spirit glorifies God, reveals His glory to the world by leading you to place all of your affections on Jesus. By Jesus becoming so attractive to you that He changes your heart. And through that, it attracts all the people around you to want to know 
Jesus like you know Jesus. By manifesting His character, His glory in you. That's the vision that God has. We're promised in Revelation 18.1 that the whole earth will be filled with His glory. That there's coming a power on His church that will reveal His glory. Will you be a part of it? Will I be a part of it? Will I take time in the mount to be with Jesus so that people can know that I've been with Jesus by the Spirit that comes through me? Let's take a moment to pray together that God makes this real in our lives, that we will make real and practical commitments to behold His beauty in the mount, to ask Him what His vision is for us, and then from there, to ask Him to accomplish what He's calling us to, because only He can gift us for the calling that He longs to place on our lives. Let's pray together. Father, here we are. And Lord, we just want to take a moment in the silence of our own hearts to think about the beauty of Your glory and how You are calling us to behold that beauty every day. To come into Your presence and to ask Your vision for our lives to display Your glory. Lord, I pray that You would lead us now to hear in our own hearts Your vision for our lives and for this church. And Father, it took Moses 40 days and 40 nights, so we don't demand that you speak to us in this instant, but we pray that you would keep us consistent in coming back to you and asking you how we can be filled with your Spirit and display your glory. And Father, I also just want to pray that you would gift everyone in this audience with the gifts of your Spirit to accomplish the mission that you've called them to. Lord, it might be as simple as baking food for somebody. It might be as simple as, as helping to, to clean up some things here around the church or to go to a neighbor's yard and mow their lawn for them. I don't know what it looks like, God, but I know that this world is so filled with hate, it needs to see the love of Jesus revealed. Oh God, would you empower us to be your hands and your feet to this world, to represent your character, to be temples for your Holy Spirit that are worth far more than $60 million dollars but that are priceless in the beauty that they display before the universe. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.